How's everyone doing? Good, good. Everyone trying to stay warm a little bit? It's, it, it's better than last week, right? Right? It's, we're in the cl close to, we're, we're in the single digit negatives wind chill right now, which is a sad improvement, I guess. <laughs> well, I hope you are staying warm this week. Um, so thank you for being flexible with last week. It was just too cold to leave houses, and so hopefully you were able to stay inside, stay warm, stay safe, all of that. So this week we're going to continue where we left off two weeks ago, talking about what it means to be missional. So then, two weeks ago, we talked about why we're missional. We looked at kind of the, the landscape of the U.S. in terms of faith background, in terms of church involvement, things like that, and why being missional is an answer to that, is a way we're trying to bring Jesus to people. Because the idea being we saw people aren't necessarily coming into church anymore to find Jesus. So if we, if we want to bring Jesus to people, we need to actually bring Jesus to people, go out to people. So the question we're going to look at now is who? Who is this group we're called to be missional to? I think sometimes when we kind of think about the idea of missional, we can jump to the end and we can jump to, okay, what do I do to be missional? And that's a great question, but sometimes it can be overwhelming to jump kind of straight to the end of what can I do? So let's take a step back and think, who are the people I can be missional to? Who are the groups of people I might feel called to be missional to? And then, what kind of things do I like doing? Say, Holy Spirit came down and was like, Great Commission, I got it covered. Don't worry about it. What are you doing with your time? Like, what, what activities, what things are you just going to naturally be doing anyway? So today we're going to explore the questions of who and then you. Who do you want your mission group to be and what kind of things do you do? To start out with this, we're going to do a tic-tac-toe board, a little activity. So think of a tic-tac-toe board and before we leave, I have little handouts for everyone. This is going to be your homework to do this coming week. Um, so think of a tic-tac-toe board. Might help if I turn this on. There you, oh, there you go. Oh, back it up. Whatever. You get that there. Um, with your house in the middle. First thing we want to do is think about who are your immediate neighbors. Who are the people that just naturally live right around you? Can you name them? So I'm going to do the example of my old apartment. So directly next to me was an adorable old man named Leroy. He was the cutest old man ever. Um, he was a, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you call him like checkout person, gr greeters, but he was a greeter at Lowe's down the road, like super cute, to the point that he, there wasn't assigned parking spots, but the parking spot in front of his apartment was Leroy's parking spot. Everyone knew it. If someone happened to park there that was like a guest that was visiting, Leroy would park in the grass next to them because he's like, I'm old. I am not walking, you know, half a mile up the road to park. And no one got mad at him because he's an adorable man. So, Leroy, guy next to me. On the kind of, there's a little road that used to be there. Across from that road is, is a row of apartments. On the far side, I didn't know this kid's name. It was Waving Kid. So it was the back of their apartments, so there were balconies. So this was a, a family on the second story, adorable little kid, I don't know, four or five, and who I'm assuming it was his mom. Never really talked with them a lot, but he would wave at me every day. We would throw a ball back and forth, have funny little conversations, just an adorable little kid. We, I interacted with almost every day. I was walking to the mailbox, going on a run, going out, whatever. Saw him, interact with him, a little bit with his mom. Next, Grown and Mary. She was a student at what's the, the university, Logan. She was a student at Logan University, which is not that far from there. 
I didn't have a lot of interactions with her. I think she was a psych student, but that's her. Next family at the end was the Sanchez family. Again, adorable family. Mom, dad, two kids, and the oldest cat I've ever seen in my life. I do not know how this cat was still alive. So old. But their kids would play hockey out on the road. So every time you came around the corner there, you have to like pause and be like, all right, no kids. There. All right, go. Um, again, this was kind of back of their garage. They would open up the garage. They'd eat dinner out there, kind of sit out there. He would work out in the garage. Yeah, good family. If you go around this side of me, there was a kind of a road, and then it wound down. There was apartments down here. I didn't really know anyone over there. I, was, I, I didn't go down that way. And then along the whole back was a kind of a forested area. There was kind of a golf course behind that and a neighborhood kind of a little bit further out, but I didn't really interact with a lot of those people down there. So this is kind of what my little tic-tac-toe board for my neighbors would look like. Now, how did I interact with this group? I talked about it a little bit. Leroy, I had over for dinner a couple times. Again, sweetest old man ever. Um, found out he used to be a, I don't know what they're called in the, um, the church he was in, but he, he used to be essentially um, an elder. At, at his Baptist church. It was there for a long time. Waving kid, interactions were pretty minimal. Um, on holidays, things like that, I would drop off little packages at the door, you know, whatever. And the, the mom, I think, spoke very limited English. So, but every time I'd see her, she would hold the package and like give me a thumbs up and wave. And so it was, you know, limited, but still, interactions. Mary, I didn't have a ton of reactions with. Um, I had her over to play games once. Nothing really came from it. Um, Sanchez family. And interact with a decent amount. We would go out, play with their kids. Um, they, would, they would be eating outside. We'd go out and eat with them. Um, they ended up moving partway through the time I lived there, and I helped them move out. So that's the interactions I was, I was able to have with them. Now, I, I, this is a story I've told, I think, once before, but I just want to kind of retell it to kind of highlight something, that things you try in your neighborhood won't always work. So it was two years ago at this point now, I decided I was going to have a kind of Fourth of July brunch. You know, most people have plans in the evening or the afternoon Fourth of July, but brunch, that, that could be a good time. Um, I made invitations, hung them on everyone's doors, all like probably 50 of them all around us, bought a ton of food, got some folding tables out, had them out, had chairs out. Not a single person showed up. I got some weird looks as people were driving by, just, what is this guy doing? <laughs> that was a complete failure. Didn't work. Sometimes it'll happen. And that was, I was, then I was with the problem. I have so much food. I do not want to eat all this food. I have food for 50 people. What do I do with this? So that's spawned whole other problems. But I want just to highlight, this is your, the mission field closest to you. This is the very place Jesus has placed you. So what can you do to strengthen these relationships? How many of your neighbors directly around you can you name? If you can't, that's your first step. Figuring out, okay, I didn't figure out who's around me. If you can, what can I do to strengthen these relationships? What can I do to minister to the people directly around us? Another question you could ask that kind of is in some related to this is how many non-Christians play a significant role in your life right now, are significantly present in your life? Because really these are the primary people that God has placed in your life for you to witness to, for you to be examples to on an everyday basis. So I want to jump back to our main passage here, the Matthew 9 passage, and look at who is it Jesus is calling in this passage. It's a man named Matthew at his kiosk for collecting taxes. He said, follow me. Matthew, tax collector. Most of us know that. Tax collectors were hated. 
they were seen as absolute traitors. Because Rome, when they came in, were like, you're giving us so many taxes. But we're sneaky. We know if we send in a Roman official to get taxes, that's probably going to be more likely to cause revolt. It's going to seem more oppressive. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of infiltrate a little bit, find the skeeziest person among you, and convince them to take the taxes for us. And say taxes was 20%. Rome would say, take, you know, demand 20% from the people, but you can demand however much you want from the people, and we'll back you fully, and whatever else you demand, that's your pay. So they could come in and say, I mean, I don't know if this is a real number, but they could legally come in and say, give me 50%. And Rome would fully back them. So the tax collectors were hated. They were seen as absolute traitors. And if you go on to the passage, Jesus goes and hangs out with Matthew and his more tax collectors and sinners. Matthew and his friends. The absolute opposite of what you would expect Jesus to be with the holy, righteous people. And notice when Jesus is called out on this, how he responds. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This quote here, go and learn what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting something. He's quoting Hosea. I'll read kind of the passage in context here. This is Hosea 6. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I will cut you into pieces with my prophets. I will kill you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments will go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. As at Adam, you have broken the covenants. They were unfaithful to me there. Gilead is a city of evildoers stained with the footprints of blood. This passage, and really the entire book of Hosea, is God yelling at the people, calling out the people, saying, basically, you are following the letter of the law, exactly, but you are entirely missing the spirit of the law. You are physically stealing food from orphans and widows to take that and use that as your sacrifice to me. Do you think that's what I want? You are literally trampling over the most oppressed, the most needed people who need you the most. You are literally walking over them to come sacrifice to me. God is really angry in this book because he's calling the people out as... Do, do you not think this is what I want? Do you think the sacrifices is what I want? The actual walking up doing the sacrifices. The whole Mosaic system, the whole Old Testament law is about mercy. And God is yelling at the people for missing it. The thing that is supposed to bring mercy, used to help the orphan and the widow, the people have taken and turned into a club to actually oppress them even more. And so Jesus is quoting that here. When the, when the Pharisees asked him, why are you hanging out with sinners? Because Jesus is highlighting, you're taking this idea of purity. You're taking those purity laws and taking them to the extreme. 
They're taking them and using them as a club on the people they're designed to protect, the people they're designed to help. So that might sound extreme, but circle back to the question. How many non-Christian people are in your life, playing a significant role in your life? If there's not many, maybe I have to ask why. What's the situation? Am I not in places where this can happen? You know, because Jesus clearly calls us to do this. Matthew's one of Jesus' first disciples. So if we don't have that many, ask why. And this might sound harsh, but we might even have to repent if we don't have any. Because those are the people Jesus has called us to be witnesses to. Okay, so that's kind of the people immediately around us. So let's expand this tic-tac-toe board a little bit. Now, the stat is probably slightly different, and honestly, it might be even more skewed at this point, because these numbers are from 2019. But a study was done and found that the average person spends three quarters of their time within two miles of their home and one mile from where they work. Now, with the you know, remote working, that might even be more skewed toward home, honestly. But, but regardless, a majority of people's time is spent within these, these three miles. Two miles from home, one mile from work. So, let's make another tic-tac-toe board. Whoop. Now, again, with your house in the middle, now let's expand a little bit. Rather than, you know, your neighbors around you, what are the things around you? It could be people groups, it could be activities, whatever it is. The way you can maybe think about it is if you were, I've moved a lot, I've moved states a lot. A lot of times when you move, you have no idea what's around. So you say, you know, all right, I'm looking at this apartment. Pull up Google Maps. What are the things around it? What, what would attract me to this location? What are the things here? So, let's walk through it. So for me, I grew up on the West Coast. I'm a massive coffee snob. I love me some coffee. So one of the first things I'm going to look for is a coffee shop. And for me, there was one, The Wolf, just fairly close by. Like, I've been at The Wolf with almost everyone here. It's a great coffee shop. But there's a problem with it. One of the... It was before COVID, so it was in the first three months I was here. Um, I was meeting a friend up there, Sam. He was the pastor at Red Tree Church. He's the other pastor at Emmanuel. Yeah, we're meeting, you know, just kind of a, a get-to-know-you thing up there. While we were there, he introduced me to two other pastors that were there, that used the Wolf as kind of their third space area. For those of you who have been there, the Wolf isn't that big of a location. It feels like overkill to have four pastors there at the same time. That's not really doing the idea of being out in a third space, meeting people there. So I had to find something different. I wanted to find a different third space to do work at, to be present at. So driving down the road, I see a sign for a place that is beer and barbecue. Yes, I'm going to try that. So that became a space that I utilized. Another thing I really, really like is board games. Um, Driving down Manchester, I see there's a game store. I don't know if I've told the story before. I actually ordered from this game store, this is an online game store normally, for 15, 20 years. A long, long time. When I was driving down Manchester, you know, first time getting here, I was, I was going to the store. I saw it out of the corner of my eye. I don't know how I didn't get in a crash. Because I saw it was like, what? And just like went straight across to it. So, board game store. Another thing I enjoy doing is being outside. Hiking. You know, I grew up in western Washington. You hike. That's what you do. 
uh, activities in parks, festivals, things like that. There's two nice parks right near me. You got Velasquez, which we meet in in the summer. Great place for, they have a lot of fields, you can do baseball there, bocce ball, lots of festivals, things happen there, and Castlewood. Great place for hiking. Some really fun trails there. I really enjoy that place. Another thing that's a big part of my life is university, higher education. I've worked at three universities. A lot of the uh, ministries I've done have been with university students in the past. So did some hunting, and Logan was not that far from me, the university close by. Another area in the past that has been something I've enjoyed doing or something I felt called to do is ministry in cross-cultural and even cross-religious context. Um, I think a lot of times that's a, those are groups that the church kind of ignores. And so when I moved, kind of looked in and found that there was a Hindu temple not that far away. So that could be a great opportunity. Another group that often gets overlooked, especially in West County, is poor. We think of West County as, this is the affluent area, right? Well, yes, but there is some poverty, a decent amount of poverty around. And if, ah, why? Why do you hate me? Not back, okay. And um, a lot of it's concentrated in this motel, Trends Motel. It's probably less than a mile from here. People drive past it every day, don't realize it's the definition of a skeezy, slummy hotel. But that's where people go that have nowhere else to go. So this was kind of my grid around me. Now, we're not going to talk about how these are implemented. That's for next week. This week is just kind of making the grid. Now, something I thought we could do is maybe look at what Jesus' grid might have looked like. What would Jesus' tic-tac-toe word have looked like? We know during this time period, and we'll take kind of the time period of Matthew 9, Jesus is living in Capernaum at the time. Just up there at the north, he's moved up there. And even that, moving to that location, is a huge ministry feat, a huge ministry statement. Because Jesus is moving, you can see Nazareth down there, he's moving up to the north to one of the poorest areas. One of the areas kind of in the outcast, the outskirts. So Jesus, even choosing to move there is a huge ministry moment for Jesus. So what's around him? Well, kind of around these corners, you have outcast people. People that the Jewish population really doesn't like. And who, in turn, they really don't like the Jewish population. You have Damascus up to the north, Phoenicia, and then Samaria. Jesus had close interactions, meaningful interactions with all of these groups. Jesus, when he travels south to go down Jerusalem, intentionally goes through Samaria, which is an area most people ignore because they hate them so much. Same thing going up into Phoenicia. That's an area the southern people don't go. But Jesus does. We just read a passage end of last year. Jesus going up there having the interaction with the Phoenician woman. So Jesus chooses to live in an area near and around outcast. Next, the town he's in is a major kind of Roman city. It, Capernaum is kind of the hub of the north for Rome. Kind of a slummy area, but it's the hub Rome has chose. So of course there's going to be a tax collecting booth. There's going to be that thumbprint of Rome right there. And we read how Jesus utilized that. Off to the east, we got Sea of Galilee. 
The Sea of Galilee is right there. This, this other town, uh, Garrisonet, is on the other shore. It's the kind of eastern main hub. You have Capernaum in the north, in the kind of the northwest. Gerashet is kind of in the southeast. They're kind of the two main cities. Uh, some of the stories we've talked about where Jesus kind of crosses back and forth to the Sea of Galilee, he's bouncing between these two cities here. So definitely something could be done with this group because you have fishing, you have language, you have all sorts of things that could be done there. Off to the west, Jesus' hometown. Nazareth isn't that far away. There could be something, you know, that could happen there. Down to the south, we have Jerusalem. Jerusalem, kind of the center of culture, the center of religion, certainly at this time period, the center of power. So can we think of how Jesus might have utilized, we have the benefit now, we can read it and kind of reflect back, how could Jesus have used these things? Well, we talked a little bit about how Jesus interacted with the outsider, Damascus, Phoenicia, Samaria. There's lots of stories of Jesus going out of his way to interact with these groups, getting yelled at for interacting with these groups. Uh, the fishing community, the Sea of Galilee down here. How many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen? A lot of them. How many of his sermons take place on the banks of the Sea of Galilee? Using fishing terminology, analogies. I'm going to make you fishers of people. He's using the language of the culture that he's in. Matthew, calling the tax collector calling one of the most hated people in town. Now, Jesus doesn't really utilize everything on his detective board, right? Nazareth. Jesus goes to Nazareth and basically says, nope, that did not work. I am not going back there. He gets run out. That's an area he just doesn't go to. Even Jerusalem. During Jesus' roughly three-year ministry, he doesn't go to Jerusalem all that much. And when he does, it seems to be for religious or cultural obligations, for Passover, for things like that. But it is something that is utilized, but not all that often. Now, this, I know this is kind of an artificial thing. It's hard for us to actually make a board for Jesus. But hopefully you can kind of see a little bit what something like this can look like for you. What are the people around you? What are the things around you that could be in your board? And then, once you get that down, how can we utilize these? But your homework for this week, Anna, could I have you help me pass these out, is to fill out these. Same thing on the front side, you know, neighbors. Ooh. Back side, community. Ooh, ooh, very, very fancy, I know. So that's what your challenge is this week. That's what your homework is this week. Fill these out. Think about who are the people around you. What are the things around you? What are the people groups around you? Sit with that this week. Really stop and think. Because God has put you where you are for a specific reason. The place you live, you chose it, right? But really, God chose it for you. God knew you were going to be there. So why? That's what we're trying to figure out this week. God, why have you put me in this specific location? Talk with God about that. Reflect on why you are where you think you are. What, why you think you are where you are. Write it down. Write down some notes. Fill out this. So next week, 
come with these filled out, and we're going to take those thoughts, those people, those things, whatever on here, and we're trying to talk about, all right, what are the next steps? How do we take these who's, these me's, these you's, these things I enjoy, and how do we use that to engage in our community? How do we use that to be missional? How do we take these areas that I feel called in, that I feel passionate about, and how do I utilize them for the kingdom of God? That sound good? Yeah? I, wanna, I might call someone up to have them like, read out their thing, so, so do them. Yes, bring them back, bring them back, bring them back next week, yes. <laughs> um, so to close out my part, I want to go back to these questions from a couple weeks ago. You guys want to read these questions? I have nice little printouts over there if anyone wants them and grab them, put it in your fridge. I actually have a little whiteboard in the kitchen and I, I, that, that I wrote these on. So every morning when I'm sadly waiting for my coffee, I can look at it. But take 30 seconds right now and just reflect on these questions. Think about them and then I'll kind of give some answers for them for me for this week. So for me this week, how did I answer these questions or how did I reflect on these questions? The first one, what was Jesus trying to tell you this week? It was a similar thing to last time we talked about. Slow. Slow down. I am always trying to solve things, to figure things out, to get to the end really fast. And this week was Jesus just telling me to sit. Telling me to be calm. Be patient. I'm not a patient person. Have you ever heard that joke that patience is the worst thing you can ask for in prayer? Because you'll get an opportunity to learn it. So that was me this week. Two and three, I'm going to kind of punt a little bit and tell a story of something I saw. So how did you see the Holy Spirit trying to work in the world this week? Um, this, I was um, out playing pool with some friends. There was five or six of us there. There was one table, then there was kind of a row of tables. We were the only ones in there when we started. Another group comes in, it's mom, son. Son is probably 20s or so, seems to be a special needs child. Comes in, picks the table right next to us. There's a whole row of tables. Why are you picking the table next to us? So how did I see the Holy Spirit was trying to work this week was, the Holy Spirit is literally putting this person next to me, literally putting this person to my frustration of, you don't want to space out, you, you have to, okay, okay. How did I respond to the Holy Spirit? Well, in this instance, I didn't respond. I happened to be there with two of my Special Olympic partner athletes. So for those of you who don't know, um, Special Olympics, you can do two kinds of teams. You can do a team of entirely Special Olympic athletes, or you can do what's called a partner's team, or where you have some Special Olympic athletes and some partners, some non-Special Olympic athletes. A lot of times it's like siblings of Special Olympic athletes or things like that. I was there with two of my partner Special Olympic football players. They cued in on this right away and decided, hey, let's, let's go talk. And so wouldn't ask a dumb question about like, how do you rack pool balls? Something we knew but something that got this kid so excited. And he came over and spent like 20 minutes hanging out, talking with us, and then was talking smack about football. And so we gotta have a really good conversation with this kid. I say kid, but he was probably in his like 20s. 
And, you know, as, as they were leaving, his mom comes up to us and is almost in tears. You know, like, thank you so much. You, you talk to him like a, a person. So often, people just ignore us or belittle us. So these two individuals heard the Holy Spirit and followed, ministering to this person, but honestly, probably more so that person's mom. So that was how I would answer these questions this week. Now, join with me as we pray.